0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. As I said, we have a wild study this morning, and I read a really wild study. Uh, these are some of the topics we're going to be covering this morning. We're going to be covering sex, lust, abuse, rape, parenting, broken families, so if there's nothing in this message that you can relate to, it just confirms you're actually dead, we'll bury you this afternoon, and simply move on, because what we are going to look at today really touches the real-life world. It's going to feel like we just pulled topics right out of the newspaper for what we're going to look at today. Now you're going to wonder, where do we come up with these topics, and why are we looking at these topics? It's really sort of simple we're just continuing in our study of 2 Samuel. And today we come to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And this chapter is the beginning of the movement of the baton passing from David as the king of Israel to begin to move to who will be the next king of Israel as a transition to his children. Now, most of David's life, as we know, he has been a man of faith, he's been a man of courage, he's been a man of heroism. But a few weeks ago, when we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 11, we know that he tarnished really his legacy in a serious way. He found himself attracted and then pursuing an affair with a a woman who was already married, a woman named Bathsheba. And then to remove the inconveniences of the pregnancy that resulted from the affair, he bumped off her husband, a man named Uriah. And he hid his sin for a year. And then we went to 2 Samuel chapter 12 last week, where Nathan the prophet called him on the carpet for his sin. And thankfully, David repented of his sin. He was forgiven of his sin. He would not die, and he would allow to remain as king. But we learned last week that there were still some serious consequences he faced for his sin. And that's true with all of us. Jesus forgives us of our sin, but does not necessarily mean all consequences of our sinful choices are removed. For David, there were two main consequences. One is that the sword would not depart from his family. From that point forward, there would be uh, fighting, there would be death, there would be all kinds of disaster inside of David's family. Secondly, for David's murder of Uriah, he would pay fourfold for that. He would lose four of his own sons. Last week, we saw the first son that he lost, which was the son that was born to Bathsheba. This week, he's going to lose his second son, a man named Ammon, or Amnon. rather, And Amnon is his firstborn son. And by the way, after this, there are still two more to go. In this chapter, there is one terrifying thought that runs through it, like a thread that ties it together from beginning to end. And this is the thought. Like father, like son. The sins of the parents are often repeated in the lives of the children. Children do not just get from their parents their looks and their height but children often learn from the home they grew up in, and they repeat the lives that they've seen in their home from their parents. That could be for good, or in this case, it can be for ill. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we saw David had a burning interest in a woman that was not legitimate for him to take. and He had an affair with her anyway, and then murdered her husband to get rid of the problem. Today, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to see one of David's sons has a burning desire for a woman who also is not available to him, but he becomes sexually intimate with her anyway, and then murder is done again to get rid of the problem. It's like father, like son. This chapter feels like a rerun of 2 Samuel 11. Now, Before we get into this, let me just introduce you to, what I want to say, some of the new characters. Just meet the new characters as we get to this next generation. So I'll introduce them to you. Today we're going to meet Amnon, who is David's oldest son. His mother is Ahinoam of Jezreel. We're also going to meet Absalom, who is David's third-born son by a different mother, by Macca, a daughter of the king of Geshur. He is actually, right now, second in line for the throne. Amnon was first in line for the throne. Now, his grandfather, Absalom, that is, was a king. His mother was the daughter of a king. And just to tell you, he really wants to be the next king. The problem is, somebody stood in his way. Incidentally, so you're aware of this, there was a second son. uh, that was born between Amnon and Absalom, whose name was Chilean. Uh, He has disappeared from the scene, so as far as we can tell, he has died as a child. So number one in line for the throne is Amnon, number two is Absalom. We'll also meet a a young woman named Tamar. She was Absalom's biological sister, and we're going to see she was an extremely beautiful but also extremely godly woman. Finally, we'll meet another guy named Jonadab. And this is the way I describe him. He was the son of Shimei, who's David's brother. He was the evil cousin who put his nose in everybody else's business when he should have been minding his own. That's an interesting way to describe this guy, but he plays a very important role. Um, Now, I just want to tell you, we have a lot to cover this morning, 39 verses. So we're going to move rather quickly. And this is not a G-rated text, which is why I told you the kids go out for age-appropriate teaching but there is a ton to learn. So let's dive right in. Begins with this. Amnon loved Tamar. Verse 1. So now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Amnon describes his feelings for this lady as he loved her but we will see in a few minutes. He does not love her. He lusts her. She was extremely beautiful. All he cared about, and the only way he could look at her was sexually, which by the way is sort of a repeat of chapter 11. Isn't that the same way that David looked at Bathsheba? Not as a person, but more as a sexual object to gratify his desires. This is the same way that David's son is looking at Tamar. And this, as I said, is lust. He calls it love, but it is truly lust because there is no of the qualities of love in these feelings. He has no desire to see what's best for her, no desire to sacrifice himself for her, no real care for her at all. He sees her merely as a sexual object to satisfy his needs. That's the only dimension he can look at her at. Verse 2. Now Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. Now David had... Many wives, didn't he? Many wives that he was already married to, but he was consumed with lust for a woman that was not available to him. Amnon, as the crown prince, second in line to the throne, has many ladies who would be very interested in marrying him and being his queen, but he is also consumed with lust for a woman that is not possible for him to take because she is his Sister, it says here he thought it was impossible to do anything to her. Folks, we know what he wants to do with her, doesn't don't we? We don't need to explain that anymore. And he's so consumed with lust over her, he is physically sick. But this relationship would be incest, which is explicitly forbidden in the scriptures. Leviticus 18, verse 9. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. Now, Tamar does not have the same mother as he does, but does have the same father. David is the father. So this is very clearly a case of incest. This week, as I studied Amnon, and I thought about Amnon, it looks at first like the problem to him is a moral one. You know, she's my brother's sister. And that may be part of the problem. But I don't think Amnon was a man with that many scruples. I really don't think he was a man who cared so much about God's law. I think part of the problem was simply an opportunity problem. Tamar, as the virgin daughter of the king, was actually protected and had, like, you know, you have uh, the president's sons have secret service around them, kind of thing. This is the same kind of way she was. She was protected, and he could not uh, find an opportunity to be alone with her and to be with her. The text continues, and it really goes with this theme that bad company is going to corrupt good character. Amnon might have continued to live in his self-afflicted, lustful afflictions if it had not been for his cousin and his friend named Jonadab, and here we're introduced to him. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, who was David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. Some translations say Jonadab was a wise man. I think that's a bad translation. Crafty, which is the ESV, I think is a better translation. What it means is he was a very manipulative, scheming, and twisty man. We would say he's a good politician. You know, those kind of people? Uh, This is not a good compliment on his character. He gets things done, but he does it by cutting corners in the wrong way. And then we see this. And he said to him, oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning by morning? Will you not tell me? I mean, Amnon, you're, sec- you're in line for the throne. You're the prince. Things are going wonderful in the kingdom. Why do you look so terrible? I mean, you need more- a lot more than coffee in the morning. What's wrong with you? And then he says this. But Amnon said to him, I love Tamar. My brother Absalom's sister. Now, Jonadab was a, was a true friend. His response at this point would have been, "I'm sorry, buddy. You need to go take a long, cold shower. Let me get out God's word and show you. This is you may love her, but you have no business touching her. There are all kinds of other women who would be interested in you, who are appropriate for you." She is off limits. This is a bad idea. But Jonadab, who's not really a good friend, he decides, oh no, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you come up with a plan to overcome the palace protocols that would protect her, a plan so you can finally be with her. I want to pause and think about Jonadab as a character, Jonadab as a person. He is not a friend, is he? He is actually the worst kind of person you want to be with. If you are a, in junior high school, if you are in senior high school, if you are in college, or you are a young adult, you know those Jonadabs you have in your life and in your influence. Your parents tell you to stay away from these kind of people, and they're serious, and they're right. Jonadab is the kind of guy that would say, hey, drink this, because everybody else drinks this. Smoke this, because everybody else is smoking this. Take this pill, because everybody who's cool takes this pill, or for a hundred dollars, I'll give you 100 bucks if you do this really stupid action and sort of goad you into making dumb, idiotic choices. Jonadab, or people like him, are not your friends. Cut them out of your life. Get them out of your world. Anybody who is going to help you sexually assault another woman is not the kind of person you want in your life. And that's what Jonadab does for Amnon. Helps him and enables a sexual assault. Here's Jonadab's plan. Jonadab said to him, well, lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill, And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Oh, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So this is Jonadab's plan to enable Tamar to be able to come to Amnon's bedroom so he can rape her. It's all based on lies. You notice it's all based on deception. No, it's not apparent in the English, but it's much more apparent in the Hebrew. This whole thing is designed to further entice Amnon's sexual fantasies, not to cool his fantasies. Let me just jump to another just sort of point here. Our daughters must be protected from evil men. Verse 6 says this, So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Oh, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat it from her hand. Now, there's interesting subtleties here. I told you, it's it's much more apparent in the Hebrew than the English. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about this. He said, make a couple of cakes and let me eat it from her hand. The word for make and the word for cake are sort of unique in the Hebrew. They both have the word heart as the root word in the center. It's that she could make two heart cakes and and I could eat them from her very hand as I lay in bed. Do you think that's designed to cool his sexual passions? Or do you think it's going to entice his sexual passions? It's going to inflame those passions. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. Now, at this point, I don't think Tamar had any idea what were Amnon's plans. Her father asked her to go help her sick brother. She immediately responded to that. She figured she would be a good nurse for him. She would be able to help him. And everything is going fine until she makes the cakes, she gives him the food, and then he refuses to eat. And she feels like that gets a little bit weird. Before we go any farther, I'd like to stop and think about this. Before we look at how Amnon is going to treat her, I think we should look at how a man is supposed to treat A woman in general, period. In other words, a woman should never be treated with violence. Men in her life should protect her. A woman should not be allowed into a situation like this where she is now going to be alone with a man who cannot be trusted, a man who is sexually um, enticed by her and Interested in her? Later we will see Amnon has a very poor reputation. Amnon is not trustworthy. He's known for making a living of trying to satisfy his glands. David should have known better. David should have seen this coming. Everybody knew that Amnon had the hots for Tamar. And yet David sent his daughter to be with him alone. Fathers, one of our jobs in this world is to protect our daughters, to not allow them to be around men like this. Brothers, one of your jobs is to protect your sister. If You go to school. You can hear the talk in the locker room. You know what the guys are like. And if you see a guy and you know what his character is like and he's interested in your sister, you say to her, do not go out with him. Do not spend time with him. You should not be alone with him. Fathers and brothers should be protecting their daughters and their sisters. Folks, we live in a society that encourages the sexual exploitation of young women. We live in a society filled with pornography, where men are taught by pornography to objectify women and look at them in one dimension, which is a sexual dimension, there to meet their needs. That's our culture that encourages young men to act just like Amnon. So it is very appropriate and very needed that fathers protect their daughters from men that are untrustworthy, not allowing them to be with them. Dads, stand up and say something. Brothers, protect your sisters. David should have seen this coming a long way away. This is what the Bible says about how a young man should be treating a young woman. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. Treat older women as mothers. Treat young women as as sisters in all purity. And I'd always teach this to my children. When you go out on a date and you're with a girl, she is your sister, you treat her like you would your sister. When she becomes your wife, you treat her like she is a wife. Until you marry her, she is your sister, you treat her with absolute purity, hands off, That's what the scripture says. Or Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Has David been finding that out since 2 Samuel chapter 11? God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous? Oh, yes. Pretty serious. Let's get back to the text. Amnon said... Send out everyone from me. So he went out. So everyone went out for him from him. He has Tamar finally alone, which is what he wants. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes that he had she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. This is what he's been waiting for all alone. She's alone. In his bedroom, it's time to spring his trap. Now, it's possible that Amnon has such a big ego that he somehow thinks that Tamar will actually enjoy his advances or be enticed by his advances. But as his fists closed over her wrists, she was not interested in him at all. In fact, she was terrified by him and disgusted by what he began to do. And when she brought them near to him, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. There are three reasons or three ways she tries to stop this rape. It's about ready to take place as she reasons with him. Number one, she says, she reminded him that a rape would destroy his reputation for life. And this is not just like premarital sex, which the Bible does not agree with and God does not like. This is not just a rape, which is obviously way above what God would ever allow. This is also incest on top of it all. She says, your reputation would become one of those outrageous fools. The Hebrew is a little bit stronger than just outrageous fool. It should be translated this. Your reputation for life would be known as a wicked pervert. True, isn't it? Once people know that, what you do like that, You're never gonna live that down. It'll never be forgotten. She says this, and she reminded him that rape would also ruin her life. Who would marry me? Who will want to be with me? Think of what will happen to me. Then, in desperation, she offered to marry him. Speak to the king. Well, by the way, I do not think she actually wanted to marry this guy. He's a beast, he's a terror. What she's trying to do is find a way to stop the rape in the moment, because she knows her dad would never let this take place. That's what's going on. But Amnon, the complete fool that he was, just driven by his glands and driven by his lusts, refuses to listen. I mean, he needs to take a serious polar plunge down in the lake down there in the winter. He needs to be left in the water, really. It says this, but he would not listen to her. What took place probably took about 10 minutes. But for Tamar, it was a terror in her life that she thought would never, ever end. It says this, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. The English is very tuned down to what the Hebrew tells us here. The Hebrew words are extremely violent. There was a fight. She resisted. Things became very physical. He overpowered her. It doesn't say this, but it wouldn't surprise me if he hit her. He struck her as she resisted him. In the Hebrew, it says, he lay with her. But it's interesting because the word with is missing. There is nothing with about this. He completely forced himself on her. This is a brutal rape that completely shattered her life. That's what's described. Now, I'm not a woman, and I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be to be a woman in this situation completely overpowered, raped by your own brother, a person in a position of power and influence, second in line to the throne of Israel. I, as a pastor, you sometimes do marital counseling. Years ago, I ended up in a marital counseling appointment after a couple that I had done um, premarital counseling. They married came back, they were really struggling because what had happened is, as a teenage girl, she had been brutally and forcefully raped. Here it was, over a decade later. She was struggling in her relationship with her husband a decade later because she was still so traumatized by the rape that was done to her as a young teenage girl. I believe that's exactly what's going on with Tamar right now. Her world is completely shattered. Now it's interesting. Remember Amnon said he loved her with so much passion and love and I told you it was lust because after he's done with her, look at how he feels about her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hate that, he hate, <laughs> that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had for her, which is you study these things, and I did a little studying this week. This is common from victims of sexual assault. When a man rapes a woman, many times after that, the hatred that he really should have for himself, he vents it on his victims, which is many times you hear about a woman is raped and then killed, a great hatred, and this is exactly what's going on. He should be hating himself but he hates her. But it's really, he's the one with the issue. Then Amnon said to her, get up, go. Just discards her. Uh, It reminds me of a cigarette, or excuse me, a smoker. You know smokers, they have to have their cigarette. I just have to have my cigarette. I'm overwhelmed. I have to have my cigarette. Then they smoke their cigarette. What do they do with it? Throw it on the ground, step it out with their foot. That's exactly the way Amnon is treating her. Has to have her, uses her, discards her, and throws her away. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than all the others that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. See, in Israelite law, if a man would seduce her sort of rape another woman. Ultimately, he would have to you know, pay the bride price for her. He would have to marry her. In other words, he would have to take responsibilities for his action, not just use her and walk away from her. This is what it says in Exodus 22, 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is, who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. Now, this is saying men... You have to be responsible if you're going to act in this irresponsible way towards a woman. And this is what Tamar is saying. Look what you just did to me. Now you're going to throw me away? You know, you have some responsibility towards me if you're going to treat me this way. But he called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Uh, I told you the Hebrew is interesting. In the Hebrew, the word woman is missing. So he says, put this thing out of my presence. He treats her like a piece of trash. Dispose of it. And then he bolts, That says, bolt the door. You know why he says bolt the door? Now he's blaming her for the rape. When really it's him who did it. Bolt the door so she can't come in anymore. Isn't that typical of a a rapist or an abuser, to blame the other person when they're the one who's the source of the problem? Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So the servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. She was wearing the clothes of virginity and of a queen. And Tamar put ashes on her head, and she tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid with her hand on her head, and she went away, crying aloud as she went, ripping up her clothing that signified her as a virgin daughter of the king. She could not pull herself together. And I understand who could. She went away a raped victim. Now, on her way to Absalom's house, her brother, or maybe when she arrived at Absalom's house, we see this. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Notice, as soon as he sees her crying, as soon as he sees that her robes of virginity are torn, what does he assume took place? That Amnon raped her. This says volumes about Amnon's reputation, what was he was known for as a son and as a man. He didn't say what happened to you. he assumed he already knew. And if Absalom knew what kind of ma- man Amnon was, David also knew what kind of a man Amnon was, and David failed to protect his daughter from a man with a very poor reputation, a man known for living to satisfy his glandular desires. And Absalom said this, Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Let me mention a couple things here. It says, hold your peace. And what's going on here is he's saying, you're not going to have to deal with this alone. I'm your brother. I'm going to take care of this with you. And he says also, by the way, he is your brother. And what seems to be going on in the Hebrew, he's saying, I know that we'll deal with this together, but this is going to be difficult because he's actually your brother. I mean, he's our dad's favorite son. This is going to be difficult to deal with. But every day, as far as we know, for the rest of her life, Tamar never gets married. She lives as a desolate woman until her dying days in her brother's house, traumatized by what took place with her. What does the Bible say should have happened? What should happen to Amnon at this point? Leviticus 20 verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it's a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. Just seeing your relative's nakedness was enough to be cut off from the people, because that was so wrong. He didn't just see her nakedness, he raped her I mean, technically, it's the death penalty is what he deserves. And we read this, and when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry, rightfully so. Now, there's an interesting uh, marginal note. It's in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, on one ancient copy of the text, where the copyist put this as a marginal note on the side here. It's not scripture, but he wants you to observe something, and this is what he wrote down. But he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was his firstborn. David was angry, and he should have been, but he didn't do anything about it. Amnon was allowed to remain in the palace. He was allowed to remain next in line to the throne. David did not discipline him after the rape of his own sister. And folks, you know this. When a rapist rapes one person, what happens next? They go and rape another person. David did nothing to a stop to what was Amnon's lifestyle. David, as far as we know, also did nothing to comfort his daughter. to make sure that her honor was defended. He ignored the whole thing, and he hoped it would go away. Why did David ignore this? I'll give you two reasons. I think the first one is that after his uh, affair with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, I think he didn't know how to confront anybody else who was in a very similar situation. He let the sins of his own life neutralize him in dealing with the sins in his son's lives. A second thing I think you need to know, and this comes from a broader picture, it's very interesting. The passages that we are studying and the life, the time in David's life that we are studying in 2 Samuel is also paralleled in 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles, it primarily focuses on the external life of David. At this time, things were going amazingly well for him as a king. The kingdom was wealthy. The kingdom was powerful. He was incredibly successful. 2 Samuel does not focus on the external parts of David's life. That's 1 Chronicles. 2 Samuel goes behind the scenes and focuses on his family life. And what we find is while David was wildly successful on the outside with everything, he was an abysmal failure as a father. He ignored disciplining his children. He ignored correcting his children. He ignored time with his children. And if you know the story, this will ultimately almost completely wipe out his kingdom. Because the threats that will come to his kingdom will not come from the Ammonites. It will not come from the Philistines. It will not come from the outside. The threats that come to his kingdom will grow up from the inside with his own children that he failed to discipline. What an incredible reminder for us dads, as we're so busy at work Let us not neglect to invest in our children, discipline our children, and comfort our children at home. Because if we do, it'll come back to bite us, and it will possibly destroy us and the family, we hope, that comes out of our, our line. That's what happens to David. A couple quick lessons at this point. David let the sins of his past keep him from disciplining his sons in the present. And Christian fathers, by the way, must set a godly example for their children by how they treat their mother. Folks, I just want to mention this. Since one of the themes in this is like father, like son, that children learn from what they see their parents do, not just what they hear their parents say. If you want your son To treat his wife really well, begin by treating your wife really well. Begin by making sure you don't raise your voice at her and yell at her and demean her and belittle her. Because if your son sees that in your life at home, he'll bring that right into his life, in his future home. When your children see how they live, how you live, they'll imitate that. Now, this is where I was a little afraid. We're running short on time, but I'm going to keep going to the end because it gets even wilder. Next is what we call revenge. Verse 22. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Then it reads, after two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is in Ephraim and Absalom invited all the king's sons. For two full years, David ignored what Amnon did to Tamar. did absolutely nothing until Absalom is finally so upset about it, he's going to do something about it. And it starts by saying that this is the time when Absalom had sheep shears. Uh, sheep shearing time, season's like harvest season, it's like Thanksgiving season. It's a time when all of a sudden you, everybody eats a lot of food. And Absalom's going to say, hey, why doesn't the whole family come over my place? And Absalom came to the king and said, behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. In other words, your whole royal palace, which is Absurd because there is no way that Absalom can host that many people. But you know, when you start with negotiations, trying to get your brother that you want to murder over to your house, you start high, and then you bring it down a little bit. But the king said to Absalom, Oh no, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. But he pressed him, and he would not go, but he at least gave him his blessing. Good idea, but too many. Then Absalom said, well, if not, just please let Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, like, why should he go with you? You guys haven't talked for two years. You guys hate each other's guts. Something's not right here. But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and the king's sons go with him. Well, this seems like a compromise, but really it's all that Absalom wanted from the beginning. Start high, negotiate in the middle. All I care about is I can get Amnon over my house because I'm going to get rid of him once and for all. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him, do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant." Do you see an echo here from chapter 11 with David? David commanded his servants to kill Uriah. Absalom commands his servants to kill his brother. Same thing all over. Like father, like son. Uh, I, I'm going to skip this section on vengeance in the interest of time. Verse 29. So servants of Absalom did to Amdon... As Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Now, let's think about this. Where did this rumor come from that all of the king's sons were dead? Just hold that in your thoughts. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. Everybody in the house is heartbroken because they think every son of the king has died, but one person. But Jonadab, remember him? The son of Shimei, David's brother, said, Oh, let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For, for by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all of the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. Wait a minute. Jonadab, how did you know what happened before news from Absalom's house arrives? The reason he knows what happened is because he was involved in the plan for actually what happened. He was involved in planning the murder of Amnon, just like he was involved planning the rape with Amnon. Where did the rumor all of a sudden start circulating that all the sons were dead, and then all of a sudden it's only Amnon that's dead? Who started the first rumor and then corrected it with the second rumor? Jonadab. He's the one who's behind all this. Start big. Start big then go little. That's the negotiation technique he uses. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Now we see the people actually arriving. And Jonadab said to the king, behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said, so it has come about. That's because he knows everything, because he's behind everything. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept, and the king and all of his servants wept bitterly. This is a messed up family. The first son who was in line for the throne was Amnon, who rapes his sister. He's dead. Now the next one in line for the throne is Absalom, and he's a murderer who killed his older brother. This is a completely messed up family. But Absalom fled and went to Talmi, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son all of his days. Absalom ran to his grandfather, and the technical thing that it says here is, it says mourn for his son day after day, literally it means all of his days. Until he died, he mourned for his son. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Now let me pause this very part at the end here. This last Hebrew verse is a little tricky to translate. So I checked a number of Hebrew scholars. I like the way this one Hebrew scholar translated it because all of a sudden it makes this chapter make much better sense. He says this is the way it should be translated. All these circumstances held the king back from marching against Absalom because he was mourning for his son Amnon since he was dead. David was furious at Absalom for killing his brother, but for three years he did absolutely nothing about it. David was furious at Amnon raising his sister But for two years, he did absolutely nothing about it. David has become just like wicked Eli from 1 Samuel, who knew about his son's sins, but did absolutely nothing about it. If you want to know what this chapter is about, this chapter is about parenting. It's about parenting your children and the responsibility that fathers have in the home to care for, protect, and discipline their children. And if you ignore it, it's a complete disaster. Now let me just focus on those applications here at the end. Number one, fathers must not become so involved at work. They fail to lead in the comfort and correction of their children. That's what David did. And by the way, I said this includes adult children because his children were in like adult level world at this point. Number two, Children are more likely to repeat what they see their parents do than learn from what they say. There's far more that is caught than what is taught. So, as father and mother, we have to model what we want our children to become. Number three, the greatest temptation fathers face is not outright wickedness, but apathy and inaction. David could have stopped all of this if he addressed the problems in his family instead of ignoring them. Isn't that true? Ignored the one for three years, ignored the other for two years until it blew up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a reminder for parents that we have to address the problems and the sins in our children. Lord, may we not be uh, like David who give the excuse that I'm so, we're so busy at work, we're so busy at the office, we're so busy in doing important things that we ignore the home things. May we be men and women who are fathers and mothers who are proactively involved correcting our children, disciplining our children, and loving our children so our children and our family may finish well. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.